This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. Or if you have your phones, turn on your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1. While you're turning there, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you how thankful I am for your pastor. Um, He's a good friend of mine. Uh, I love constantly just bouncing things off him, learning from him. And so I I think y'all have one of the best preachers in Wichita. And so I'm, I'm thankful for Pastor Brandon and his leadership. That's right. And then uh, it's, it's so good to be here with my wife. She's back there with my two girls, uh, Mariah and Kaya. And so if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. And then uh, lastly, my mother is here. And so um, if there's someone who knows more than me than my wife, it, it's my mama. And so she's here. She knows all my faults, my issues, my quirks. And so um, I'm reminded of 2 Timothy. Paul tells Timothy, I'm reminded of your faith, which first lived in your, uh, your, your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now lives in you also. And so uh, I'm thankful that I have a, a mother faithfully follows Jesus, and she's passed it down to me. And so um, Ruth chapter 1, Ruth chapter 1. We're going to read the whole chapter. Okay, the whole chapter. I could just read the chapter and walk off the stage and be done. All right, it's God's word. So um, hear hear the word of the Lord. If you please stand for reading God's word, sorry. Ruth chapter 1. This is how it starts. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and, his, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These, these, these took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years and both Malon and Chilion died so that the woman was left without her, her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughter-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the, in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughter-in-laws, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, "'Go, return each of you to her mother's house.'" May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I too I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. 
return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you will go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death departs me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mar, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly, very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. It's the word of God for the people of God. You may have a seat. So, Father, we we come to you this morning, and we we ask that you would speak to us where, where we are through your spirit. Lord, we we trust that you are here. We trust that you are sovereign and in control and that you have revealed yourself through your word written. And so, Father, would you prepare the the soil of our hearts for for the seed of your word to fall in good soil and produce fruit? Lord, would you speak through me? Lord, that anything that that comes out of my lips would, would be to your glory and to the edification of your church. And so, Lord, we, we are thankful for your grace and your mercy that you've poured out on us through your son, Jesus. So we'll be with us as we look at the book of Ruth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So it was May 18th, 1941. It was, it was a hot spring day in Atlanta, Georgia. The scent of magnolias in the air. There was a young 12-year-old boy enjoying himself watching a parade take place in the streets at the Negro Business District, where, where suddenly a messenger who, who, who brings this young boy terrible news that would rock this boy to his core. Something had happened to his grandmother. The grandmother that loved him dearly, she, she was a tremendous source of encouragement and, and warmth in a world full of hardship and hurt for a young black boy. This boy's love for his grandma, he described as being extreme. His, his heart was pounding as, as he ran home to only find out that his grandma had suffered a heart attack and died. This young boy was stunned. He was, he was hit with pain and grief. And young Martin Luther King Jr. raced upstairs and leaped out of his window trying to follow his grandmother out of this world. He hit the ground hard, but he was still alive. Bruised and shaken, but still in this world. Still in this world. What we see here, I think we see in the, in the church in America, that when it comes to pain, we don't want to face it, experience it, feel it, or acknowledge it. We, we'd rather run. We'd rather suppress our pain. The irony is years later during the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King Jr. would regularly rehearse the words of a famous German philosopher that says, growth comes through pain. Growth comes through pain. 
I would say it's upside down to our way of thinking, but oftentimes pain can be our greatest gift. Pain can be our greatest gift. And, and, and this, this messes with us because we, we as Americans, we tend to structure and shape our lives in such a way where we don't want to see pain, feel pain, deal with pain. Dare I say, talk about our pain. As a matter of fact, we have to act like we're pain-free. It was Dr. Paul Brand who gave his life to working in, in a leper colony in India. And if you know anything about the disease of leprosy, one of the things that makes leprosy so bad is that lepers can't feel pain. Therefore, since they can't feel pain, they can do terrible damage and harm to themselves. So, so here's Dr. Paul Brand. He, he has immersed himself in the life of this leper colony, learning about their pain, studying their pain. And after a lifetime of studying their pain, here's what he says. He says, pain is often seen as a great inhibitor keeping us from happiness, but I see it as the giver of freedom. And it was the great C.S. Lewis who continued this train of thought, connecting pain to God. And he says, God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pain. Pain is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain. Stewarded right can be helpful. So as we come to our text, one of the words we can use to summarize this whole chapter, if you haven't missed it, is the word pain. Pain is just oozing out of our text. Look at me with with verse 1. It says, in the days when the judges ruled. And so if we're looking at a a timeline in Scripture, the author has given us a clue that the story takes place during the time of the judges. The book of Judges, which which is just right before this, is summed up in a cycle that happens again and again and again. That Israel is unfaithful to God. They're they're, they're committing adultery. They experience great trouble and distress. Israel cries out. And then in God's graciousness, he rescues them through a judge. The judge eventually dies. And what happens? Israel renews their idolatry. And so this cycle happens over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, the last verse written in the book of Judges, which is right before Ruth, is Judges 21, verse 25. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. If there was ever a definition for sin, here it is. They did what was right in their own eyes. So these are the days that this story is dropped into. And so he, he, here's Naomi. She, she starts off in Bethlehem. And, and you know what Bethlehem means. Bethlehem means the house of bread. House of bread. It, isn't that something? The house of bread. So, so Bethlehem means the house of bread. And right off the bat, the text says that there's no food in the house of bread. A famine hits. There's pain there. So what does Naomi and her family do? They, they have no food in the pantry. No food left. So they have to uproot their whole life their friends that they made, the neighborhoods and relationships that they developed, the, 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 the school that Naomi sent her kids to. They had to uproot everything, their customs and culture. Look at verse 1. It says, Israelite family picked up their lives and went to sojourn to be an immigrant in the country of Moab so that they remained there and they settled there. So they left the familiar for the unfamiliar. 
the known for the unknown, they, they were strangers. And the pain doesn't stop there. Our text says that Naomi has a husband, and his name is Limelech. So, so we don't know much about the circumstances or how or why, but it says Elimelech dies. And again, the, the pain doesn't stop there. So Naomi was left with her two sons, Malon and Chilion, who took two Moabite women to be the, their wives, Orpah and Ruth. Look at verse 4. It says that they get married, live in Moab for about 10 years, and then both Malon and Chilion die. Once again, we, we don't have a lot of details about how or why or, or how this happened or even the timeline of when it happened. But all we know is by verse 5, Naomi is left with, without her husband and her two sons in a foreign land. Pain, famine, strangered, misplaced, widowed, sons, dead. Parents aren't supposed to bury kids. So look at verse 2. We see this families from Bethlehem. That's a statement of their ethnicity. They were Jewish. But then it says that they were Ephrathites, which is a statement of their class. So this is like saying Naomi was, was from the Koch family or the Buffett family or the Gates or the Zuckerbergs. They were high class. So this, this family was well off. And just like that, pain comes knocking. So this leads me to my first point. Pain is universal. Pain is universal. Hear me now. Pain don't discriminate. Pain isn't prejudice. Pain isn't bias. Pain will find you in the hood and in the gaining communities and all in between. Amen. Just keep breathing, and pain will hit you. But we know that, don't we? We, we could just go down the list. Go down the list. And if you haven't experienced pain, like I said, just keep breathing. Keep inhaling and exhaling. Some of you, you, you know the pain of loneliness. You, you know the pain of abuse. You know the pain of a parent who just wasn't there. The pain of losing a loved one or, or bankruptcy where you can't make ends meet. The pain of divorce. The pain of failure, maybe in school or a job or a failed relationship. You know the pain of watching a child make unwise decision after unwise decision. And we could just keep, keep going down the list. Pain is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. But hear me, hear me out. I'm not saying ask for pain. I'm not saying pray for pain. No, like I said, just keep doing what you're doing. Pain will come knocking. And so the question on the table is, is, is how do we handle pain when it comes? How do we steward it? Look with me at verse 6 and 7. We see that Naomi and her daughter-in-laws get word that God has visited Bethlehem and provided food. So, so they get up and make the journey back to the land of Judah. And on this road trip, man, there's this emotional, intense conversation at some point along the way, Naomi starts to think about the future of her two daughter-in-laws in Bethlehem, two young widow foreigners in Judah. She's just thinking about their future. What's it going to be like for them? So verse 8 and 9, verse eight and nine Naomi turns to Ruth and Orpah. And look what she says. Go, return each of you to her mother's house. 
May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. So this is Naomi's first recorded word. She, she has broken her silence, and she's urging, she urged them to go back home, releasing them to, 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 uh, after all they've been through. And she says, may the Lord deal kindly with you. Kindly. Underline that word. This word kindly is, is pregnant with, with, with meaning. This Hebrew word is hesed, which is a covenant term that's full with all of God's attributes, love, faithfulness, grace, devotion that goes above and beyond. So Naomi here, she, she acknowledges that Ruth and Orpah have exemplified this hesed towards her, and she prays that God would show hesed to them, giving them rest. Deal kindly with you. Rest. This word rest, if you study this word rest in verse 9, if you go a little deeper, this word in the Hebrew means to settle, to settle after movement, to settle after wandering, to settle after pain. It's this idea of having a sense of security and permanence. And so what Naomi does is she stitches the word rest to having a husband. She stitches the word rest to having a husband. In this patriarch society, the loss of one's husband was the loss of one's economic support, their stability, their care, and all of their kinship structures. So security and well-being is directly connected culturally in this time to the male. And so if I could just drop this off for free, real quick. Be careful what you're leaning on for your identity and security outside of Jesus Christ. Be careful what you're leaning on for your identity and security outside of Jesus Christ. Because once it's taken, once it's gone, you're going to be left wandering, insecure, and empty. So here we see that pain exposes. Pain sheds light on all the things we're putting our hope, identity, and security in. I mean, wasn't it Peter and James who both wrote to, to suffering Christians saying that trials produce endurance and endurance through that trial shows where you actually are in your faith. So again, if your identity is in money rather than Jesus, when your money gets taken away, it'll expose you. If you're a parent and your identity is in your kids, as soon as they go off to college or get married and no longer under your roof, and if your identity is in them, It'll expose you. So what is it for you? If you were just to insert that thing, if it were taken away, it would wreck you. Because your identity and security is so wrapped up in it that you couldn't even function without it. What is it for you? How would you answer that question? What is your identity and security in? So Naomi... She says, go back home and find a husband. I hope God deals kindly with you. And so being a widow in this time immediately pushed you to the margins. It, it alienated you. And so it's interesting. There were actually laws set in place in Israel to protect widows from being taken advantage of. As a matter of fact, God's people would be known for their righteousness and justice. And the way that that manifested itself is how they cared for the fatherless the poor, the foreigner, and the widow. 
because those were the people groups who were pushed to the margins, taken advantage of, outcasted. And so here in just in the short chapter, here we see these two women, they become a foreigner and a widow. So this is an emotional moment. These ladies have been put through the ringer together. And now Naomi is trying to send them back home. And I love it. At the end of verse 9, it says that they lifted up their voices and wept. It said they cried loudly. We see it again at the end of verse 14. They lifted up their voices and wept. You know, this this ministers to me because I I once had a conversation with with a pastor from, from Mexico and, and he now lives in the States. He pastors here. And I asked him, I mean, what's something you learn about Americans, and, and specifically in a church context? And his answer, he says, Americans do not know how to lament. They don't know how to lament. And in a graceful manner, he says, Americans are just so prideful. So prideful. And so I think we can learn something from our Hispanic brother that sadly the American church has taught us to suppress our emotions, not to deal with our pain. I think you could say that lament has completely gone missing from the narrative of the American church. It's as if we skipped over the book of Lamentations. It's as if we skipped over uh, one-third of the Psalms, which are lament psalms. One scholar says, in many ways, we've been complicit in our culture in training people to be incapable of dealing with loss, with pain, with failure, and with despair. And so when we deny our pain, when we deny our feelings, we deny what it means to be made in the image of God, which is human. Which is human, that God has created us to feel. And when we don't steward our feelings in a, in a healthy, godly way, when we deny them, we become less human. We become less who God created us to be become these empty shells. So there's Dr. Tim Muhoff from Barlow University who talks about this communication pyramid. And he has five levels of communication. Pastor Brian knows exactly what I'm talking about. The first is cliche, two is facts, three is opinions, four is feelings, five is transparency. And this, this pyramid is something I use regularly in discipleship with my people and how to relate with one another but I want to use it this morning and talk about how we tend to communicate with God. My view, it's my view, speaking for, for me, my view is that the church has, been, has discipled many of us in our prayer life to operate, function on level two. Factual. God, I need this. God, do this. God, I need a job. We state very factual things to God in our prayer life and in our communication with him. Very few of us, I would say, not all, Operate on level four or five with God, telling God how we feel. God, I feel so angry. God, I'm frustrated. God, I'm upset. God, I'm hurt. I think this is why David is called a man after God's own heart. David literally poured out his heart, his feelings, and his emotions to God. Just read through the Psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How long, O Lord, will you forget me? I'm weary with my moaning. Every night, here it is, every night I flood my bed with tears. This is in the Psalms. So just read through the Psalms. You see very quickly that David wasn't some cool, calm, and collected guy. 
he knew how to lament. In the midst of pain, he knew how to meet God there. So to lament is a form of worship where we come openly and honestly to God, acknowledging the brokenness in our lives and the lives in our world. So again, I think this really hits home for some of us right now. Me personally, I've been to more funerals the last several weeks than I have my whole life. We're going through a pandemic, if you didn't know. Political climate, race, sickness, financial struggle. So are you lamenting? Are you bringing these things to the Father? Because in our text, we see these ladies react to their pain in a very human way. They cry, they weep, they lament. So what I want to contend with you, my point, is that to heal from our pain, to grow from our pain, we need to lament and mourn well. Lament and mourn well. Pour our emotions out to God, seeking to submit and steward our emotions, hear me, under the lordship of Jesus Christ. How many of you all could say that, man, I've submitted my emotions under the lordship of Jesus Christ? Have you ever even thought about that? That's part of the great commandment, loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, with our whole self, not just our mind, not just our actions, but with our emotions. So pain is universal. Pain, it exposes. And in pain, lament is necessary. Lament is necessary. So if we continue on our story, Naomi, she tries to send them home. She, she insists that they return Go back home. Naomi then, she builds her case on why they should not come with her. She says, I have no sons. I'm too old to have a husband to have sons. Even if I could have sons, are you going to wait until they're grown? It's a great point. So that means you have to wait to get married, and, and, and are you going to do that? So she builds a great case, a great argument. If I'm being honest, I would have been like, Naomi, I'm out. Great case on how there's no future and no security with her. There's not a lot of hope if you think about life with Naomi and Bethlehem. And so if you look at our text, it seems that Orpah has been lured in by the bait, and she's gone. She goes home. But it says Ruth stays with Naomi. Ruth says, I'm hitching my wagon to you. I'm rolling with you. You can't get rid of me that easy. So verse 19 It says, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? Is this Naomi? And so if we read our text, it seems like the town was in shock because Naomi, here she is. She's been gone for years. She shows up, no husband, no sons. She's a widow. She didn't go from rags to riches. She went from riches to rags. Not only that, but she's a, she has a foreigner as a daughter-in-law. And so maybe they didn't recognize her because she was older or because she, she's underwent miles and miles of pain. So maybe this, plant, this pain has completely changed her appearance. It's, it's taken its toll. And so look, look at her response, verse 20. She said, do not call me Naomi, which, which, by the way, means lovely and pleasant, but call me Mara, which means bitter. 
for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Verse 21, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And so the way Naomi saw it is that she went to Moab full. She had a husband. She had some sons. She had money. She was, she was youthful, healthy. She was full. Now the Lord has brought her back empty. If I were to look at Naomi, I feel for her. I, I empathize with her. I grieve with Naomi. I agree she experienced some serious pain and suffering. But I would say that she hasn't come back empty. When pain comes knocking, we need to see purpose and perspective. Purpose and perspective. And I want to tread softly here because I think one of the most unloving things you can do when someone's going through pain is approach them and beat them up with perspective. Beat them up with perspective. Trying to teach them and make a point through their pain. I think sometimes you just need to be present and sit with them in their pain. But if I were to talk about purpose and perspective, it reminds me of the story of Joseph. That when we, first meet, when we first meet Joseph, he seems like he's some punk, arrogant kid, and he keeps telling his brothers, here, here it goes, one day you're going to bow down to me and serve me. Imagine how that would go in your house. One, one of your kids or your brother or sibling shows up and says, hey, man, one day you're going you're gonna to bow down to me. I'm going to pretty much own you. Wouldn't go over well. So he says, one day you're going to serve me. And then we see in Genesis that he was sold into slavery by his own brothers. They faked his own death to his parents. And then in one day, Joseph lost his parents, his siblings, his culture, his food. He lost his freedom in one day. Then in Egypt, while serving as a slave, he was accused falsely of rape by Potiphar's wife, thrown in prison. So we have many sleepless nights in prison, forgotten about in jail. And then God, through the pain, through the series of events, makes Joseph the second most powerful man in Egypt, using him as his instrument, who then, here it is, Joseph is then faced with his brothers, and he has perspective. He says, what you, man, intended for evil, God used for good. What you intended for evil, God meant it for good. So when you experience pain, my challenge for you is to ask the question, what is God doing through my pain? What is, how is God growing me through my pain? Because we see that Naomi, she experienced this, this terrible loss in Moab, but she didn't return to Bethlehem empty. Because what, what, God, what was God doing through Naomi's experience that we see that God worked through the human brokenness, the ethnic and religious boundaries to make this Moabite woman, Ruth, his own? I mean, we see the gospel here. It says Ruth clung to Naomi. This word clung is the same word we see in Genesis 2.24 that says that a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Leave and cleave. So this type of devotion requires leaving membership of one group for another. And so look at the contrast of Orpah and Ruth. Verse 15, it it says that Orpah, see your sister-in-law, has gone back to her people and to her gods. So we see that Orpah, man, she, she makes the logical, comfortable decision. She goes back to her people. 
and her gods. But Ruth not only pledges herself to Naomi in this season of pain, but to God. Verse 16, your people will be my people and your God, my God. Many scholars tell us that what is going on here is Ruth is coming to faith in Yahweh. She's coming to faith in Yahweh. But how does Ruth come to faith in Yahweh? Pain. Pain. Through the famine, through the unfamiliar, through the loss, through the weeping and lamenting, through the awkwardness, God worked through this pain to bring Ruth to faith. And we see it here in our text. Ruth had to leave her old way of life, leave her old gods, leave her comfort to submit and devote herself to the one true God. She says, I'm leaving the old way of life and I'm cleaving to this new way of living. Yahweh, God and his people. So friends, I'm here to tell you this morning that if you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that God is calling you to him like he called to Ruth in our story. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your king? Have you completely surrendered your life to him like Ruth here? She put her old way of life in the rearview mirror and she cling to God. And if we were to take a step further and take a step back and look at the larger narrative taking place in Scripture, remember, we're in the era of the judges where everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. There is no king. But if we fast forward to chapter 4, I just want to hit on this briefly. Do you know who comes through Ruth? King David. And you know who comes through King David, Right? the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus. How is that for purpose and perspective? Through an unlikely platform, unlikely person and circumstance, God is working to redeem all people to himself. Through this painful situation, through this foreigner, God brings his son, Jesus. And if we look at Jesus, we see pain in the gospel, that they pressed a crown of thorns on his head, that they nailed him to a cross and speared him in his side. And so in the gospel, we see that redemption didn't come despite pain and suffering, but through pain and suffering. And so my question, child of God, is how are you stewarding your pain? Suppressing it? Ignoring it? Are you prayerfully asking God, God, what, what are you doing to this pain? Are you, are you allowing it to expose you? Are you lamenting, connecting with God in an intimate way through worship? Because scripture says suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Friends, prosperity is a, is a, is a bad teacher. But pain... Our text shows that pain can have meaning and purpose. So friends, let's let's steward steward our pain well. Let's steward our pain well. If you look at verse 22, I'm going to end with this. I don't want to leave y'all just hanging with pain. Look at verse 22. I'm going to read it real quick. Verse 22. 
So Naomi returned in Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Barley harvest. The Jewish calendar, that's like, uh, I think, April or May. And so barley harvest was a time of fun and festivities, laughing, singing, and dancing. So I think this is a foreshadow that Naomi and Ruth literally stepping out of one season into another season. So we see here that pain is temporary. Pain is temporary. It was in Psalm 30 where David says, weeping may tarry for a night, but joy comes in the morning. So pain is not forever. It's temporary. And so, Father, as we, as we come to you this morning and we, we acknowledge that, God, you use pain to shape us and mold us to be more like your son, Jesus. Lord, that though it may be intended for evil, God, you, you can reorchestrate it for your good and for your purpose. And so, Father, we, we come to you and we just acknowledge that many of us may be going through pain. We may be going through trials or hardship, through the pandemic or through a financial struggle, or through family um, issues or crisis. Lord, would you help us to acknowledge that our, our citizenship is not one of this world, but our citizenship is with you and your kingdom. And help us to, to experience and engage our pain in a way that's countercultural to the rest of the world. Lord, that we would allow our pain to expose us of our sin and where we fall short. Lord, that our pain would, would push us to prayer and to worshiping you through lament and mourning. And so, Father, we also acknowledge that it was through the pain of the cross that Jesus Christ went and, and solidified our salvation. And so, Father, help us to look to Jesus who can empathize with us because he was tempted in every way. So, Father, I pray for each person in here who is going through something, you would meet them directly where they are through your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.